This is the Working Drummer Podcast, featuring conversations with ground-level pros from all styles and regions. Real drummers with real stories about making a living in music. Hey everyone, welcome to Working Drummer Podcast. I'm Zach Alvetta, and today I'm talking with Sean Zorn. Sean is a product of the Memphis scene, where he still lives, but has also made his presence felt in Nashville over the last five years. His career is an enviable mix of live and studio, Memphis and Nashville, local and touring, and includes such artists as Twin Forks, Amy LeVere, Mike Doty, and many more. A session he recently did with Mike Doty led to the creation of a sample pack called For the Song that is now available on Yurt Rock. We would appreciate your support on Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash working drummer and a donation in any amount gets you access to exclusive content from our former guests. Think of this as professional development for drummers, all useful and actionable lessons for the working pro. We're populating new content regularly, and as little as $1 a month gets you access to all of it. If Patreon isn't your thing, you can also make a one-time donation through PayPal. There are links for both on our homepage at workingdrummer.net. While you're there, you can learn more about this episode and check out our archive of over 300 episodes. Also, please subscribe to Working Drummer Podcast on your platform of choice. We're available on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and YouTube. And be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Lastly, however you listen, please leave us a rating and review. This helps new listeners find us. We have some new Patreon content up. Since a lot of us are doing more tracking lately, we're having some of our guests talk about a specific song they've tracked drums for and all the technical and creative aspects of that recording process. New content there from Doan Perry, Jim White, Joe Bergamini, and Steven Chopek. So check that out. Again, that's patreon.com slash working drummer. So we've been hearing from more Memphis drummers lately. In the last few months, we've talked to Steven Chopek and George Slepik, who both have close ties there, but Sean actually still lives there. It sounds like Memphis lives up to its reputation as a music city in terms of a local live scene, recording work, and touring, and he has a hand in all of it. So let's get to it with Sean Zorn. played a gig last night. I played a church gig this morning. I, I taught a Zoom lesson just uh, a minute ago. So, you know, you you might be carrying this conversation. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm in the exact same boat except for the Zoom lesson. But yeah, gigs yeah. last night, church this morning. So you know how it is. Yep. Yep. Are you in no. Nashville or Memphis right now? I'm in Memphis. Cool. Yeah. Um, what percentage of your time, uh, is, is it, is it pretty much a, an even split between Nashville and Memphis? No. No, the last, I'd say, three or four years, it's been primarily in Memphis. Um, I was spending a lot of time back and forth uh, between here and Nashville, like up until like 2016, 2017. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I uh, in late 2017, I, uh, I bought a house in Memphis and I uh, met uh, a girl who I married a couple months ago. So we've kind of been a uh, well, yeah, those, more centrally those two things will keep you there. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so I still get up there quite a bit, you know, but um, definitely, and especially with every, obviously with everything last year, it was like pretty, 
pretty much based in Memphis for the last little bit. Cool. So at what point in your career, like we'll kind of work our way back, but when, when did you start sort of working your way into Nashville and how did you do that? And how did you maintain a foot in, in Memphis? Cause most people, when they go to a town like Nashville or LA or New York or something like it's, it's all in. (laughs) Yeah. Well, um, so I grew up in Memphis, um, you know, uh, which is only three hours from Nashville. So it's a pretty easy, easy, uh, trip. Yeah. Uh, I went to college for a year at MTSU, which is uh, just south of Nashville. And, um, uh, you know, at that time, made a lot of friends there and started like uh, that was, you know, 2003. And that's when I was started regularly going. I would go at least a couple times a year um, back as far as that. Um, in 2014, I started playing uh, with a band called Twin Forks, um, which was a side project of um, this guy, Chris Caraba, who is from the band Dashboard Confessional. Mm-hmm. And those guys are all based in in uh, Franklin, right outside of Nashville. Right. OK. So, yeah, when that happened in 2014, I was sort of like pretty heavily, you know, there in Nashville and Franklin, but we were touring a lot. So we'd be in and out, you know, um, and then, you know, so kind of splitting the time between there being on the road, coming back, trying to, you know, break in and get the thing going in Nashville. And then also, you know, like you said, keeping a foothold in Memphis, um, all my family's still here in Memphis. So it was always easy to come back and forth. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, um, that time in Nashville, I was, like I said, I was living in Franklin. I was traveling a lot. Um, I was gigging a little bit in Nashville, but you know, I, I, when I was off the road, there just seemed to be more going on for me in Memphis, mm-hmm. uh, which is, you know, kind of counterintuitive, but that's where I came up. So I just had more of a foothold. And, um, like I said, a few years ago, I met, I met the wife and, um, just started, you know, things were really happening for me here in Memphis. So I kind of started to turn back that way. Yeah. Know? Yeah. I've been, I've been thinking and talking a lot lately about this idea of like sort of having dual citizenship, um, right. in, in different cities. And for some people it's like more than two cities. Um, mm-hmm. but it, it sounds like, you know, you, you kind of, your, your entree into Nashville was, was mainly this project that you were a part of that was yeah. kind of operating out of Nashville. Um, it was, that's right. So like, did, did you ever sort of, uh, have designs or ambitions on making Nashville the place? I did, you know, and, um, you know, every, they say it, I guess they used to say it's a three year town. Now they say it's probably a five or seven year town. Mm-hmm. I don't know, but yeah. I start to think like, well, so we're talking about 2016 is when I was last, like really there. And it's like, okay, well, you know, it had, it had, I really pressed on it since 2016, you know, uh, who knows how that would have shaken out. But, um, I don't know at the time, like it just seemed like all the opportunities that I was coming up with were in Memphis. And I had a a couple chances to like really stay there. And I don't know why, but at every turn I sort of said, well, you know, this Memphis thing, like, I don't know if it's just more my speed. Like I said, I, I I grew up here, but Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's it's there's something about Memphis that is just way. I don't know. It's the ceiling is certainly lower, but it's a lot more. Uh, 
it's a lot more manageable and there's so much cool stuff going on, you know? And, um, I can so relate so. to that. Cause like I, you know, I, yeah. I, I live in Atlanta, um, which is, mm-hmm. I, I think like a bigger, a bigger town with maybe a higher ceiling than Memphis, Absolutely. but still not as high Absolutely. as, as Nashville. But I also spent seven years in Kansas city, which I consider like my second hometown. Um, right. and I, I've only spent a little bit of time in Memphis, but it, it strikes me, uh, very much, uh, very similar to Kansas city, just a town with that's interesting a lot of history, like its own musical identity, its sort its own musical mm-hmm. ecosystem that can be, yeah. you know, if you're a part of that scene, you can parlay that into a bigger scene, but you don't have to, like, you can just remain in that scene. And like you said, like there's so much cool shit going on. Um, it kind of keeps you, it keeps you fulfilled and keeps you satisfied and keeps you busy. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. I have always liked Kansas city a lot and played there a lot over the years. And like, I get into a lot of like the, the nineties sort of Midwest emo stuff that was coming out of there. So I have like an affinity for Kansas city and I've always kind of wondered, you know, uh, what it's like just for, you know, just like a regular working musician up there, you know, like, yeah, it and seems like there's clubs. It seems like there's stuff going on, you know? Yeah. I mean, I can, I can only speak to the jazz experience really, because right. I, I went there for grad school. I studied jazz, mm-hmm. you know, I, I stayed there for a few years after school and was just like part of the jazz scene. It was, it was pretty much mm-hmm. just all jazz all the time for me right. in Kansas city. But you know, there's a huge blues scene. There's a huge indie rock scene and you're right. There's like a yep. lot of, there's a lot of venues. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, I almost, I left Kansas city to go to LA. Um, okay. and, uh, I, I, I almost wish, you know, I like my, my then girlfriend now wife was in LA and, mm. and just, that was the path I was on. Like I was going West yeah. and that was it. But I often think that like, I, I didn't really, uh, get nearly as much as maybe I could have out of, out of Kansas city, just because I was in mm-hmm. the jazz bubble. It's where I wanted to be. Um, yeah. but, you know, having, uh, been away for over 10 years now, I've, uh, just sort of seen from afar, uh, how much more I could have gotten in on, um, had mm-hmm. I, had I stayed there or had I been, you know, less myopic in my twenties. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, every time I'm there, we, you know, we sort of dip into these different neighborhoods. It seems like there's all these cool pockets. It's just, you know, I'm, I play there, you know, two or three times a year, most years, and it always seems like somewhere I'd like to spend a little more time and, and delve into a little more. You know? Yeah, yeah. So, like, as far as your experience on the Memphis scene, what, was there a mm-hmm. particular circle? Was there a particular genre that that um, you were kind of like embedded in, and then you know branched out to what else uh, Memphis had to offer? Yeah, I mean, there is sort of this like the the like Midtown Memphis scene, which is like, you know, it runs the gamut. I mean, there's lots of like garage rock. There's lots of cool, um, interesting songwriters. Um, it's it's all kinds of stuff. And that was sort of, you know, with, had been my scene. There's an artist uh, here in town um, who's been around forever. Her name is Amy LeVere and I've been playing with her off and on for about 12 years now. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she tours with, uh, her husband, who's a guitar player named Will Sexton. And, um, they do a lot of duo stuff. So it's really easy to sort of like pop in and out, you know, they don't always need, uh, drums. I happen to think, uh, it's, it's better with drums, you know, <laughs> I may maybe biased in that respect, right. but, uh, you know, that, that's sort of been my main 
gig here in town for like i said the last, about the last 12 years but when i started coming back around in 2016 and started to be like oh maybe this will be where i'll stay i started getting a lot more calls to to get into the studio world which is a pretty vibrant thing here in town yeah um, there's lots of live stuff um but th- there's there's a lot of active studios and a lot you know a lot of great songwriters and that's kind of always been my focus where I wanted to be um, is I, I consider myself like a songwriter's drummer. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure that's probably something that you you hear a lot, but I really, um, I like textures. I like take, you know, I like songs. I like lyrics. I, you know, I've always gravitated towards that kind of thing. And so, you know, being able to back up different songwriters and stuff has been a real, you know, blessing in that respect, I guess, being able to like, do all the studio work and that kind of thing. So. Right. And, and I think, you know, part of the, uh, part of the point of moving to Nashville is to, to do studio work. Right. I mean, the other, yeah. the, the other point is to just get a touring gig. Like the, the, the old right. joke, yeah. if it's a joke is that like when you move to Nashville, uh, you know, you get a gig and then like, you don't live in Nashville anymore. You're just like on right. the road constantly. But of course yeah. there's, there's tons of session work in Nashville, but I kind of feel like, and maybe you can speak to this because you spent a lot more time there than me. I feel like unless it's your uh, ambition to become the next Chris McHugh and mm-hmm. do all those master sessions, what mm-hmm. whatever session work you're going to do in Nashville is, you know, similar, akin to the session work that you would do in Memphis or Kansas City or Atlanta or in whatever your right. circle is, right? Yeah. The guys who are getting those big A call sessions have pretty much got that locked down. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah. like for for from your perspective, you could you mm-hmm. could move to Nashville and and kind of like create all these new relationships with new artists and still mm-hmm. still do that session work. But yeah, you've already got that going in Memphis. You've already got those relationships. You already like those people. <laughs> you know. I, yeah, I, totally. And it and you know. To back to your question about like having designs on like moving to Nashville and it sort of ties in like I certainly did. And it wasn't ever that I made like a very conscious decision like, oh, I'm going to focus on the Memphis. It was just like the, that's where the phone was ringing, you yeah. know, and it was like, oh, OK, like suddenly I'm getting all these calls for these things. And like, you know, um, ultimately, I have always loved touring. I, I really um you know, there, there's a, a thought game that I like to play sometimes where it's like with guys who kind of dip in both. It's like if you had to choose one, either touring or the studio, you know, how would you do it? And I would probably choose to be touring. I think I would, that too. Reason, I think I would, too. Yeah. You know, I mean, I love love being in the studio. I really do. And I, I, I do it quite a bit. And it's it's one of my favorite things. But there's always been that, you know, I've always loved being on the road. Yeah. And um, something the I I've, do wish there was a little bit. Go ahead. No, well, you go ahead. No, I was going to say, I, I, if Memphis is lacking in one thing, um, it's certainly there's not that much touring work coming out of, out of, you know, that stuff is certainly all based out of Nashville and probably Atlanta and Austin, you know, but right. Um, right. You know, um, what, what I was going to say is that, you know, I, I think the, the pandemic has uh, uh, crystallized a lot of things for a lot of musicians. Um, and during during the pandemic, I basically got my my home tracking rig and game mm-hmm. like up and running. Um, and it's been really 
educational and motivating and, um, you know, uh, just something that I've been wanting to do for a long time and I'm going to continue to do it. And I really love doing it. But what the pandemic made me realize is that for me, playing music with people in front of people is still plan A. Like, yeah, yep. it's just, it's I, on stage is where I want to be. And, uh, you know, in, yeah. in the studio is great and, and I love doing it and I will, you know, continue to, but, um, yeah. yeah, just that experience, especially being on the road, like, pl- you know, playing live on your scene in Atlanta or Memphis or whatever. Great. But, uh, you know, being on the, I haven't, I haven't done enough road work to be sick of it yet. Right. Like you, right. Yeah. <laughs> you run into those musicians. <laughs> you got who, jaded. Right. Right. They're yeah. just over it. And I, you know, I totally understand how at a certain point you can just be over it, but, uh, I'm, mm. I'm nowhere near over it. That's, you know, that's yeah. where I want to be. It's certainly like I'm. We're finding out over the course of this that we have a an awful lot in common. It's, it yeah. seems like from yeah, our, yeah. from our schedule last night and this morning yeah. to, to everything we got going on. We, but we better I, not, I we better not move to the same town. It's going to cause like a- yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> um, I also did the same thing, and I think a lot of people did with with trying to get the home home rig up up and running. And I, you know, I got a I got a little little thing going. Um I've gotten some cool stuff. Uh, I dipped into um uh here working at the house doing like some TV uh recordings uh you know like for like placement stuff um with a friend of mine who's in Nashville that does that and I've been able to do that remotely and that's been awesome especially you know during that year when we were all at home not right. doing much else. Right. Um and, you know, I'm guessing you're a lot like me where it's like I, I've gotten it where I can come up with some pretty, pretty cool stuff. That's good, solid tones. Um, yep. Sounds good. But I'm far from being like an, an engineer by any means. You know, it's like I, I can get something that, that, that you can mix and it'll sound good. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, absolutely. And and, you know, I, I struggle with. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know how far down the mixing rabbit hole you've gone, um, but, not, not very far, not as much as I should have. Well, me neither. And I, I wonder how much time or money, uh, or, you know, effort I, I should really invest in it when, you right. know, I, I think, uh, most of, most of what I'm ever going to do in my home studio is just, you know, tracking, like sending somebody raw tracks, mm-hmm. right? Like yep. people aren't yep. going <laughs> to be asking me to mix shit. Um, yeah. so like what, uh, sort of what goals or, or obstacles uh, formed in, in your mixing game? I mean, just, just the fact that I know, I know guys who are so much better at it, you know? Right. And so, <laughs> or I, or not, you know, for, I obviously, I mean, I, I know a lot of engineers that are better at it, but then I look at guys like, I don't know, Dan Bailey and whatnot. And it's like, well, this guys have been doing this for years. Yeah, and man. Their game is uh yeah. You know, and it's just like, I, f- I feel like I'm 10 years too late to the game. So, you know, um, oh, it's funny you mentioned, Dan, <laughs> I don't know. it's, it's funny you mentioned Dan Bailey because I interviewed him, I don't know, a year ago yeah. or something, but I, I quote him a uh-huh. lot because we were having this conversation yeah. about, you know, there's so many engineers that are better and blah, blah, blah. And Dan said, uh, 
like I don't I don't get hired because I'm a great engineer. I get hired because I'm great at engineering my playing in my room. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And you know, I, I, his his mixing game, as you mentioned, is light years mm-hmm. beyond <laughs> any of yeah. ours. But I think Step he's by. he's still approaching it from from that perspective. Like I, you know, I'm working with these tones on my drums with my mics in my mm-hmm. room. Um, and that's kind of uh, his first his first principles, right? And I, that's how yeah. I'm operating. Like, get good tones, and mm-hmm. you know, you likely won't have to mix them. And if you do have to mix them, just do no harm. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, that's, I try and provide good, clear tones, you know, and uh, and yeah, and let 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 you roll with it, you know. Right. Um, and like I said, I just know, you know, I know so many good engineers in town and it's just like it's so much easier to just take it to one of my buddies. You know what I mean? So um, I'm really happy with what I what I have done in here. I have sort of fallen. It's fallen by the wayside in the last six months or so now that like I'm starting to gig again and mm-hmm. and there, you know, there's more studio work cropping back up. But, you know, like many of us, it was just in that time, you know, last year it was like, okay, well, it's at, at the very least, even if it's not like further income stream, this is a good chance to like spend the time and, and try and level up these skills, you know? And, yeah. Um, for sure. The, the recording and engineering and that kind of thing. Yeah. It always seems so insurmountable and it turns out, um, it's not, you know, I mean, it's obviously like there's a big difference between being great at it, but like, it's not as hard as you think, you yep. know, like, yep. I, I had the exact same experience. Like it, it just seemed so, uh, I mean, I was, I was intimidated. I was really intimidated yeah. by the whole thing. Yeah. Um, but when I finally just sort of took the plunge and started messing around at very rudimentary levels with, with what I had, mm-hmm. um, you know, it, the, the, um, um, what's the what's the, the you know the mysteriousness of it all quickly sort of dissipated mm-hmm. and was like oh this isn't yeah. a magic trick like regular people can right. do this i wonder if if you had the same experience like Doing so much of my playing in here over the last couple of years, uh, and it's 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 coincided with taking a couple of lessons with Dave Elich and like kind of reworking mm-hmm. my physical approach. Um, but I wonder if like you, you mentioned now, you know, you're getting other session work. The the gigging life is starting to rev back up again. Um, are you like what what are you taking out of your home tracking, like the playing experience of tracking at home? Um, what are you what are you taking from that out in you know back into the world uh i don't you know that's a good question um i mean yeah i don't know um aside from just like spending that much more time playing you know playing with click tracks and stuff and really like just internalizing all that so much more i mean i had you know doing studio stuff has has been a, a pretty regular thing for the last so many years so it's not really like learning how to play with like for microphones or like to you know uh flirt around with a click and play you know on top of or behind it you know that that stuff has been sort of these tools that 
I've been honing for several years. So in that respect, there hasn't been like all that much um, learning there. It's it's more like I said, just learning how to where to put the microphones and how to how to gain everything right and that kind of thing. So right. That doesn't translate so much into like the live stuff, but you know, certainly like being on sessions now, I'm obviously I'm way more paying attention to what these engineers are doing, mm-hmm. you know, uh, you know, just, just, you know, is there's a lot to learn and it, and you, as you do it more, you realize how much there is to learn, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, I was, uh, I was talking yeah. with my buddy, uh, Q Robinson, who's a great Atlanta drummer mm-hmm. a couple days ago. And he, he, we were kind of having this conversation and, um, tracking in here, uh, you yeah. know, in, 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 um, uh, in confluence with all the physical stuff I've been working on with Elitch. Now when I, like when I go out on a gig or a session, um, I'm just, I'm really trying to be so clear and so intentional with what I play because in here, like if, if you're going for certain sound or certain tones, like you have to be intentional about, you know, Mm -hmm. how, like you said, how you place the mics, how you play in the room. Um, it's just, I, I feel so much more mindful about my playing and as a result my playing has like simplified you know i don't (laughs) i've i've kind of gone back to square one uh physically so i'm just not able to do you know some of the fancier shit that i was able to do but but that came with bad habits you know yes bad bad motion or bad tone thing yep yeah. Yep. How are you, how are you liking those lessons with 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 Elitch? Man, it's it's been a game changer. Breaking it like, down, huh? Yeah, like it's <laughs> it's what everybody says, uh, but I'm I'm yeah. no different. Um, it's it's yeah. really I, changed my perspective about just how to move behind the kit and how mm-hmm. that affects your sound, how that affects your time, and how that affects how you feel. Yeah, I did one with him a few years ago, a Zoom, you know, thing, mm-hmm. um, and it was beneficial, and he definitely like you know, he seized on my grip quick, you know, and Mm -hmm. we spent a lot of time and, and like, you know, it's like you say, it's easy to fall into, to these habits, you know what I mean? But like, man, I would love to have the opportunity to like spend some real time in person. You know what I mean? Cause he, he obviously knows what he's doing, you know? Yeah. um, Yeah. I'm actually, I've developed in the last couple of weeks, this, uh, pain in my elbow that I feel like it's like, Oh shit. Maybe I need to, yeah, <laughs> I need to um, really address this, man. you know. Here like, it comes. Um, yeah, I know. Yeah, not in I, my twenties anymore. I got with him because, um, like, well, first of all, I turned forty. Uh, I'm forty one now, but uh, after congratulations, I, thank you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> after I turned forty, uh, I started having weird like stiffness and pain in my right hip, mm. um, mm-hmm. and it was around the same time that uh matt my my partner in nashville interviewed elich um Mm -hmm. and i was aware of elich before but i had never really dug into like what is his thing what is it about and you know i listened to him talk i watched him play uh and i just realized like i i have some bad shit going on and if i don't address it now i might be broken by the time i'm 50 um yeah so yeah i'm just trying to kind of get back on a or not back but get on a good physical path kind of for the first time in my life um but it's been it's been super beneficial just with how i approach the instrument and how it affects my sound it's not just about how i feel like during or after playing it's about you know the the tones that are coming out and the ideas that Mm -hmm. are coming out 
Um, so that in, in conjunction with like being super aware of tones and all that shit in the studio, um, I feel like, uh, like everything I'm playing is, is simpler, but it all just feels better and it all sounds and feels clearer. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's, that should be, that should be the goal, you know? (laughs) Right. And see, like now I'm looking at the next step. It's, it's not unlike the, uh, you know, the, the recording journey. It's like you, you reach a milestone and then all you see is the next dozen fucking milestones that you haven't done yet. Yeah. So now that I've got some of this like comfort and clarity and flow with very simple shit, I'm looking at, you know, Elitch or, you know, somebody else and being like, look how much flow they have with unbelievable shit. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So when you got, when you do those lessons, are they primarily like on the pad or, um, no, um, actually been on the kit? Yeah. I've been on the kit. And for the first lesson, Mm -hmm. like I, I hardly played a note. I mean, we talked about how to sit for 45 minutes, Mm -hmm. um, because, My, my posture was just too far forward. Like my spine was pretty straight, but it was all just like leaning forward. I was just sort of craned Mm -hmm. out over the kit. Um, and, uh, so like that connected with, you know, the way I was using the kick, I was burying the beater. I was sending all sorts of tension Mm -hmm. up my leg into my right hip. Um, so like a different way to sit and a different way to play the kick, um, you know, we're, we're very much connected. So that was, that was the yeah. first, um, that, yeah, that was just most of the first lesson. Um, and then the mm-hmm. second lesson we got more into sort of moving around the kid a little bit more and just like taking, taking the basic, um, default posture and default movement and moving it past kick snare hi hat. Right. Um, which yeah. sounds, you know, totally simple, but for me, you know, as soon as I moved off no, the kick snare hi hat, I could feel myself just like, oh, I'm fucked now. <laughs> so the yeah, second lesson, he had to give thing. me some tools to like, uh, just you know, continue to be mindful as I move move around the kit. Yeah, I could use a use a hand with that kind of stuff. <laughs> my, my posture. My posture is not ideal, but you know, and really, you know, it. it I've, I've not a heavy hitter. Um, you know, I've played in some rock bands and I can do it, but it's not my default right. s- state. You know what I mean? I am used to, to trying to please songwriters, you know what I mean? And I want to totally. not get in their way. And I, you know what I'm saying? And so I have never really come into any sort of physical problems just because I'm, I'm not exerting that much energy. And, uh, but you know, getting older, it's, it starts, you know, and it's like, you have to address these things, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I see I, pictures of myself and I, my, my shoulders up and it's like, yeah, you got to stop that. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I, like, I was starting to have like a little bit of an issue with my hip, like I said, and a little bit of an issue with yeah. my back. There was nothing debilitating really. Um, but the main reason I got with him, uh, is just cause I felt, I felt like blockage. I didn't feel pain. I just mm. felt like this sort of blockage and tightness in my playing, um, and I, I don't like, I don't, I'm like you, I'm, I'm not a heavy hitter. Um, right. and Elitz just beats the piss out of the drums. <laughs> you know, yeah. like I, 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 I saw him play and I was like, I am, I don't, I don't want to hit that hard. I don't want to sound like right. that. That's him. That's not me, but I want to move like that. I want to feel the way he feels. Um, yeah. and it, it worked like his, his approach uh, I, th- I think is, is almost universal for, you know, any kind of player, regardless of your tendencies or your genre or whatever. Cause it's all about just the most basic principles of how the human body moves. 
Um, anyway, enough of the Elitch commercial. <laughs> this, <laughs> yeah. this interview is supposed to be about you. Yeah, yeah, I think he owes us some money at this point. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I might get a free, uh, free 15 minutes out of him. artist uh that you seem to have played with quite a bit is uh mike doty um mm-hmm. who is I, I i love that dude's music i've i've never met him i've yeah. never gotten to play with him but um i've, I've followed him kind of off and on for a while um and he just seems like an interesting kind of genre defying artist uh and i'm i'm wondering you know what what exactly you know in what capacity did you play with him and and what did you right. sort of get out of that yeah, I know. Uh, I know you had uh, our our mutual friend Stephen Chopek on. Yeah, um, yeah. And he Stephen did a lot of a lot of touring with him. And uh, so what happened was, you know, Mike moved to Memphis. Uh, I don't know, three or four years ago, maybe. Um, so uh, from New York, there right? was this from. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. From New York, he was a New York guy all mm-hmm. through the '90s, and um, and uh, and let me just say, absolutely agree with you, like those soul coughing records and his solo stuff too. It's like, he's such a talented artist and mm-hmm. such cool ideas and sounds. And, um, so, uh, there is, it's gone now, but there used to be this, this, uh, bar in Memphis called the Buccaneer. And it was sort of, um, the, it was a musician's hang. It was a, it was a shitty little dive bar, but it was where all of the coolest, you know, most interesting music was was happening yep. in town you need that and, place um, yeah and it, it was really a gem I, I i was sorry to see it go um uh i used to have a weekly wednesday night gig there but there is a guitar player who's who's an older cat named david Kowser, and um david is a brilliant guitar player one of the maybe the most brilliant musician i've ever encountered in my life but um the point is he started he forever had this tuesday night residency there for years and years and years and he started doing this thing where he put together this kind of collective that was all um improvisational and it would be you know a couple guitars uh saxophone um bass and then a lot of times at least two drummers and a lot of times uh that would be me and and steven chopek did a lot of that together oh cool um very cool stuff and uh mike just kind of started showing up to these gigs. Like um, I didn't know him, but the word, you know, had kind of gotten around the, the midtown scene, like, Oh, you know, Mike Doty moved to town and uh, he started showing up and he would, uh, he would kind of just come and, and join our little collective and he would just start freestyling. And he has such this like amazing flow with his words and, and, you know, the way syllables and stuff sound together. And it, it totally fit into what we were doing. And he sort of, uh, it was, it was a loose collective without a name. And he, he kind of, you know, became a sort of de facto, uh, band leader for a while and started calling it spooky party. <laughs> doing that. Yeah. <laughs> He's a, like I said, good with words, but, uh, um, yeah. so we, so we started doing that a lot of like improv gigs where, you know, there'd just be a handful of us just kind of playing, you know, whatever and feeding off each other. 
And that's how I got to know him um, doing that. And then I recently did a session with him um, here in town and he called me up and uh, said, do you have the date? You know, uh, here's, you know, be there at this time. And that was all he told me. <laughs> I had no idea what we were doing. Okay. So I show up <coughs> and we, uh, we set up two drum kits and the whole thing was, it was all like loop based, which I had never done before. You mm -hmm. know, um, I think I got the impression that this is something he does a lot, mm -hmm. but you know, my thing is, it tends to be either, you know, playing along with somebody's tracks or it's five of us in a room together tracking at the same time. Right. And in either case, and you just, the, you learn the fucking song and play the fucking song. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you're, and you're reacting to, again, to, you know, to lyrics and to a, to a, a form and, you right, know, a, right. a vibe. And, uh, and this was him sitting next to the drums and he would sing a rhythm to me or he would play it on a computer. He would have different things and he would, uh, he'd sing it to me and then. I would start playing it. He'd, he'd give a tempo, you know, do this at one thirty and do or whatever, you know, and I would do it. And after about four bars, he'd put his hand up and he'd say, that's great. And then he would move on. And we did that for about four hours. And wow. it was, the, it was, it was a blast, but it was one of the strangest sessions I've ever uh, been a part of. And yeah. maybe people will hear this and go, yeah, I do that all the time, but I had never, had never done that before. Yeah. And, um, he basically just uh, created a little a little library, uh, you know, from from me for him, I guess. Um, wow. And I have yet to hear hear what he's done with it. This was just a few months ago. Um, so, you know, and like I said, we had two kits, so we we get a, a vibe or a feel going, and he'd be like, you know, great, now go over there and do that on that kit. And we'd run across the room and <laughs> do the same thing on a different kit, or you know, and it was. It was it was very fun. Um, so, so that uh, the his his latest thing, I was just looking it up on Spotify because I couldn't remember the name of the mm -hmm. record, and it has a. It, I, yeah. I, I knew it had a cheeky name, and I wanted to remember it. His latest thing is the Ghost of Vroom. Ghost of Vroom. <laughs> the yeah. Ghost of Vroom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which I listened to in the car recently, which was really cool. But that so that was kind of before yeah. you did this session. Whatever you did with him is that was yet yeah, to be uh, that born. Was. And I think even those things he's built in different ways um some of it's been like we said like like three or four people on the floor and i think some of it's been heavily loop based mm -hmm. um the cool thing that came out of that was uh mike had a had a pretty hard out that day like i said we did it for about four hours and then he basically pieced out quick mm -hmm. and uh me and the the engineer um who's a guy named scott McEwen. uh we were kind of just there like, well, we have these drums and we have all these mics. Like you want to just play around for a while. And, um, it's sort of parlayed into, um, we made a, we made a loop pack yep. <laughs> on our own, yep. which I know you talked about with George. And I, I, I know that's a, with George Slethic, I should say. And, uh, this is the same engineer who did, did George's. Um, oh, cool. Same, same studio or Slethic. same studio, same engineer. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, I sort of, I sort of bit George's idea there. So that, thanks George. Um, <laughs> it I mean, it's not just now, his idea. It seems like, you know, well, no, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. you used to yeah. have to, like, you used to have to have a website. Now you have to have like a podcast and a sample pack and a, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
Um, so we've got that out now. It's out through Yurt Rock, which is the same thing that George did. Oh, you know? right, so, right. Um, yeah, cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that was cool. That was that was like a super fun, also very new experience for me, you know? Yeah, yeah. And has it uh, – I'm, I'm curious about this. I, I think I talked with um, mm-hmm. George and, and maybe somebody else about this, about the idea mm-hmm. of like – you know, you're you're gonna okay. You're gonna create a loop pack. You're gonna create a sample pack. Mm-hmm. Um, but how are you gonna sell it, and who are you gonna sell it to? Do you have the name recognition and the clout to do that, or are you going to rely on you know the engineer or the producer that you did it with, or the platform that you're putting it on, like your rock, or you know, is it gonna be some yeah. combination of all those things? Right. Unclear. <laughs> right. <laughs> to be seen. Um, <laughs> you know, I, <laughs> um, I have I got my little thing, you know, and, and uh, I, I I'm not famous by any means. And I certainly I made the mistake uh, of looking shortly before we put we I, shortly before we did it, recorded it. I made the mistake of looking at the Yurt Rock roster, which I don't I don't know if people have seen that. But yeah, it's pretty impressive. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, uh, I would say I'm probably the biggest nobody on the, on the site, but uh, you know, I got I got I got a thing, and um, so does Scott, the the engineer who who did it, and I right. think you're at Rock. So um, it remains to be seen. Maybe maybe uh, hopefully the joke is not on on the Yurt Rock guys, and hopefully people <laughs> will buy the thing. But right, you know, yeah. Um, if nothing else, you know, I I I think it's a great calling card. I think it's a great, um, you know way to sort of show people what i'm about you yep. know and yep. um whether whether i mean i hope people are, are buying it i hope people will check it out you know I, I think there's some really cool stuff we tried to really approach it like um not to keep harping on it but i you know i really consider myself to be a songwriter's drummer and a supportive player and so i tried to put some ideas down that would be inspiring um simple you know tasteful yeah. like just different feels different tempos different ideas that would hopefully you know if not that wouldn't they would say oh this is the perfect thing for my song it might be like oh well this you know i could write this around this you know or that kind of thing yeah oh i was gonna um, ask like you know it sounds like george uh made a sample pack that is just memphis as fuck like (laughs) yeah yeah yeah, just lean so hard into that and and who better to do it i don't know if you know this but that that's a very popular shirt around town. It, is it says Memphis is fuck on it. Yeah, <laughs> that's great. Yeah, you can see those all over town. Hey. That's great. Yeah. That's see that's that's yep. like a great thing about a town like Memphis. Like that's something that would show up mm-hmm. in KC, you know. Um yeah. and, yep. and that, that wouldn't necessarily show up in a town like Nashville or LA. Like mm, there are no. things about Nashville <laughs> or LA that are Nashville as fuck or LA as fuck, but like yeah. I don't know, it's it's that sort of the civic pride of like a second or third tier city that I I'm yep. really attracted no, to. No, you nailed it. Um so like it. when it when it came to you, you made me realize something else about a loop pack, which is that like you got to have an angle, right? Like mm. it, it's yeah. when, when a producer or a songwriter, or whoever is going to use these is perusing the menu of sample packs, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's gotta be like really clear what you're offering. Right. Right. Um, and mm-hmm. then, you know, beyond that, it has to live up to the title. Right. So, mm-hmm. I mean, George may as well have called his loop pack Memphis as fuck and it lives up to it. Yeah. Um, so like, 
how did you sort of present this sample pack? Does it have a name? And and what like you kind of talked about, um, you know, things that would be useful to a songwriter. Um, but mm-hmm. what, like, what are those exactly? Tonally, groove wise, what have you? Yeah. Um, well, it's it's called for the song, which you know, great, very very original. But it says what it is. Yeah, you man. Know? Um, and uh, yeah, I we just wanted to um, try and make make it inspirational. So I mean, I I have um, sort of a tempo range that I think a lot of like the stuff that I have done um, kind of kind of falls into, you know, mm-hmm. so it was a lot of like these cool sort of mid tempo or, you know, different grooves, you know, um, and just, just different textures and sounds like none of it is, you know, I don't, I've never been like a heavy chops guy, you know what I mean? Yeah. I have always wanted to be supportive and, you know, I like, you know, a lot of what I do is playing two and four, you know what I mean? It yep. really is. But it's like the right tones, the right touch, you know, switching out, you know, symbols. I, I love symbols. A lot of engineers don't. Um, <laughs> I, I take a little pride in the fact that I think that I, I have, you know, I'm able to make engineers like symbols, yeah. you know, somewhere. Yeah. Um, Cause a lot of times you start putting up a bunch of symbols and you start getting the evil eye from, from singers and from engineers, but you know, singers do not like symbols. Um, but yeah, so it's just a lot of like cool feels, um, cool tones. We used, um, an old sixties, uh, Slingerland that belonged to the studio and we used a early seventies. Um, it's a pearl fiberglass kit Mm. that I, um, that I've had forever and it's a total beater, but, um, it sounds, it sounds awesome. Like it's just, such a cool cool kit yeah and um different and then the other thing we used is uh during the pandemic um doing live streams and that kind of thing i built this um what we're calling the apartment rehearsal kit but it's like it's basically just a little um acoustic sort of quiet kit you know Mm -hmm. um i've never liked the cajon I'm no, no offense to anybody who, who plays the Cajon, but it's, I, I just, I've seen guys that can really do it and that's not me, you right, know? Right. But I, I said, how can I approach that like sort of vibe, you know, the, the quiet, you know, a uh, few different tones that you can sort of make these cool loops and rhythms out of. Um, and so I took a Tim Bali and I tuned it way down and I uh, taped up the head and I used that as a kick drum. Hmm. And then I have a, I have a, 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 a 70s Gretsch snare um, that I have kind of all taped up, and it's it's pretty lo-fi, but it ended up coming out really cool, and it has this sort of like Phil Spector um, garagey vibe, and yeah, uh, like when you when yeah, you talked it about came out cool when you talked about like you know sort of singer friendly or song friendly tones, mm-hmm. I just I started thinking of like you know, pretty warm, kind of crunchy, lo-fi, yep. Yep. Um, you know, just low-key, kind of, you know, mid-tempo, yep. down-tempo. Um, that's that's really cool, man. And, yeah, I agree with you about the fucking cajon. I just, I, I hate it. 
I've, yeah. I've been asked to it's play not it. my vibe. I've been asked to play it a couple of times. I think I actually played it once. And, you know, I mean, yeah. first of all, the fact that I'm 6'5", it's just, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not going to fucking do cool, it. hard to look cool hunched over like that. God, and it's just so uncomfortable. <laughs> every every time I yeah. see it, I just think of uh, Harry Myrie calling it the participation box. <laughs> <laughs> That's perfect. <laughs> yeah, I had one for a while, and it was like, I hate it. And I actually sold it like a year and a half ago and literally got a call the next day from somebody being like, we were thinking you could bring a cajon. And I was like, I, no, I will not. I will not. I will bring I, a small I bass drum. It. I will bring a small bass yep. drum and I'll play it quietly. And yep, like no that's the thing I made. No one will be the wiser. last thing I wanted to ask you about was just sort of, um, you know, Memphis drum, like you're born and raised in Memphis, right? So, Mm -hmm. so yeah, I, I I moved here when I was five. So close enough. Okay. That counts. Yeah. I moved, I moved to New Mexico when I was five and that's, yeah, I get it. Um, so like as you were coming up and, you know, into your adulthood and, and maybe even now, um, who are a few of the, the Memphis drummers, uh, that really sort of made an impression on you or, who you may have, you know, modeled your, um, uh, your playing or your, you know, your career model after. Yeah. Um, that's a good question. You know, um, I was sort of for the first like 10 years of my drumming career, uh, was, uh, I, I grew up in the suburbs, you know, um, and w- wasn't really paying that much attention to, to what was, what was happening at the time. And I certainly was a little ignorant on my history, you know? And then in about 2010, I moved into town, into Midtown, and that's what really kicked off the the career in earnest, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, um, and since then got to discover guys like Gene Chrisman, you know, who is a huge influence, you know? Um, I don't know if you're familiar with, with Gene Chrisman. I'm not. He was a, uh, yeah, well, okay, so, um, like uh the memphis memphis boys um the american studio sound um just look it up like it's 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 wild the uh the amount of stuff these guys played on they you know son of a preacher man um all kinds of stuff it's like Uh, the memphis wrecking crew (laughs) yeah absolutely yeah you nailed it you know um they backed up elvis um these guys were were insane and uh um, you know, one of my, the first John Prine record mm. was recorded, uh, with all these guys and, um, man, just a, just a groove and a feel, you know, and that's kind of like, that's been my whole thing, you know? And, um, right. So he, he was a big influence, um, once I kind of came, came around to, which was wo- woefully late, unfortunately, <laughs> but, um, you know, there's just, there's, you know, and then there's guys like Howard Grimes who are who are still around, you know, like there's so many great players in town and there's a whole new batch. You know, it's like this just I don't know. There's a lot to be inspired by, you know. Yeah. And it sounds like at, at first, at least um, with was, mm-hmm. was it Gene Chrisman? 
Mm-hmm. It was kind of through the 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 records, the discography that you sort of discovered and began to appreciate him. Not necessarily mm-hmm. going to see him play in town. No, no, I've never seen him play. Yeah, um, I've met him, but I've never never seen him play. So, I mean, do those guys like? Do they still play? Is it? <laughs> they do. Um, Gene, in particular, uh, is is uh, a Nashville guy now. He's oh, okay. actually been touring uh, with with uh, Dan Auerbach. Um, hmm for the last little bit but um but he's around you know um they do the, you know they do the, the big celebrations of elvis you know death week and birth week every year and this, wow. these guys these guys come back around and i was playing a uh little hotel bar gig in the in the graceland hotel uh a couple years ago and he, you know here comes gene crispin walking through the room and it's like holy shit you know and uh you know we were probably playing a track that he played on right you know? and like he kind of stopped and tipped his hat and I, you know, did the little nod and off he went. You know, uh, that's it cool. Like, it's wild. That's really cool. You know? so. Um, so what, like what's coming up for you? Are you, are you about to hit the road? Are you, you got more sessions lined up? How are you, how are you sort of reentering uh gig life? Yeah. Um, session stuff is happening. Got some things coming up. Um, I, am uh, i'll be up in uh, ohio this weekend doing some gigs and a uh, little bit of tour stuff you know coming towards the end of the year um december it's probably gonna slow way down as it does but yeah. you know um i'm doing local stuff uh there's some potential touring that's you know that's being bandied about for february um mm-hmm. un- unclear yet if that's going to materialize but you know that's certainly uh like i said something i would like to get back to doing more in the last couple of years it's, yeah, dropped I, off for. It sounds like you're in the same boat that a lot of us are in, where like, you know, there's there's some stuff starting to take shape. Like the you know the close mm-hmm. the, the close to home stuff is coming back, and you know yep. some of the some of the loftier stuff is like, well, yeah, maybe in the spring this looks like maybe it could be a thing, but like, yeah, still not, <laughs> still not completely sure. Yeah, but I've got a handful of groups that I I play with that I've been playing with for a while, and they they sort of keep me busy and. Um, mm-hmm. You know, uh, what I have a group with this guy uh, named Zach Myers, who's in a band called Shinedown, um, who is they're like the biggest rock band in the world. They just uh, uh, passed Tom Petty for the most number one rock singles of all time. And uh, what <laughs> they um, yeah, yeah, there's massive, massively huge arena rock band. Um, and uh he and I have, I've known him since I was a kid uh, wow. and he and I and some other guys have a side project together. And, you know, that, that gets busy. We've got some stuff coming up, but then, you know, a lot of these guys have their main gigs and they got to get back to them, you know, after having taken a year off. So, right. Um, it remains to be seen how that's going to, how the next year is going to kind of shake out. Like there's, there's definitely a gold rush for, you know, getting back on the road and, you know, clubs and time and all that. So, yeah. Yeah, it's it's encouraging though. Things are happening again. Yeah, I'm gonna have to look up Shine Down as soon as we get off. Like I'm I'm hoping that I'm gonna hear one or two of their songs and I'm gonna be like, oh yeah, that band. But I think you will. If, if yeah. they're the, if they're a huge arena rock band and they surpass Tom Petty with number one hits and I don't know about it, that's gonna be like a goddamn it, I'm old moment. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's wild. Like, oh, man. Anyway, hopefully. Wish, wish me luck. <laughs> yep. Yep. 
Uh, well, man, it was it was great talking to you, man. Thanks for thanks for taking the yeah, time. Yeah, you too, Zach. I'm glad we got to do this. Yeah, yeah, and I'll I'll say hi to Stephen next time I see him. And uh, uh, yeah, I'm, he's, I'm he's sure really really doing the Atlanta thing. Yeah, yeah, man. We're glad to have him here. I'm really I'm looking forward to seeing <laughs> kind of what he uh, what he brings to to the scene. I'm sure you know either from a a drumming perspective and a uh, just kind of a frontman, you know, singer songwriter yeah. perspective. It's gonna be it's gonna be cool. Um, and He's you know, love that guy. I'm sure you and I will, uh, you know, I'll find myself in Memphis, so you'll you'll find yourself in ATL before too long. So let's let's find each other. For sure, absolutely. Right on. Great talking with you, man. Well, hey, man. Thanks for taking the time. Once again, thanks to Sean Zorn. Good getting to know him a bit. Look forward to hearing the results of that interesting session he did with Mike Doty. And you can check out his For the Song sample pack at yurtrock.com. Next week, Matthew Krause will be talking with Jake Summers, a recent transplant from New York to Nashville. Jake is a former student of Dom Famolero and is playing with Luke Combs. Hope you check that out. Until then, stay safe, get vaxxed, and thanks for listening. Cheers. Cheers.